0: Social justice principles ask educators to consider fairness and equity in our work. As the Early Years Learning Framework says, who is advantaged when we work in certain ways, and who is disadvantaged? Activism in this space means we need to consider the broader political and societal structures that exist. How can advocates come to grips with the complex systems imposed on us to advocate for children?
1: I'm Lisa Bryant, I'm Leanne Gibbs,
0: and I'm Liam McNicholas,
1: and this is The Early Education Show, a fortnightly look at
2: the policy, politics and practice of Australia's early education sector.
0: This episode... It's a special live edition of the podcast, recorded at the Social Justice in Early Childhood Conference. We discuss what public policies and what practices in our sector are infringing on the capacity of all Australian children to access high quality early education and care, and what can we do as practitioners and advocates to further our cause. Hi everyone, it's Liam here just doing a quick intro to this special episode of The Early Education Show. As we said in the introduction, this episode was recorded at the Social Justice and Early Childhood Conference that was held last month in July in Redfern. It was a great day and I want to extend the thanks on behalf of myself and Lisa and Leanne to the Social Justice and Early Childhood Committee for inviting us back for the second year running. It was a wonderful event, it was a uh, a pleasure first and foremost to hear the other speakers and the other presenters. Uh, but to be able to talk on this really important topic, I think is you know one of the great things um, that, that about this podcast is that we get to to now sort of talk to people about these complex social justice uh, issues and how they intersect with uh, politics and political advocacy. So again, a big thanks to the social justice crew. Um, now as we as we head into the recording from that episode that we do have to have a bit of a uh, um, a uh, Mia culpa, I think about the sound quality. Of this episode, it's not fantastic, is how I will put it. We we had a number of audio uh, recording problems. Um, look, as as everyone who listens to the show regularly know, we kind of do this in our spare time. It's a bit of an amateur production. We're working on better, you know, recording equipment, and it just didn't kind of pan out fantastically well. Um, this episode, we sort of undenied for a little while about whether to release this one or just have this as a as a live event that happened uh, at on the day. But we have had a lot of people ask us to hear it, so we've decided to release it. We, we it's still we we still think the conversation is really worthwhile, but we do apologise for the for the audio issues there. They're mainly due, uh, due to uh, a couple of bumps that you'll hear uh, regularly. So for people with earphones on, I would just be mindful, probably have the volume down a little bit lower, um, not to blame anyone in particular. But unfortunately, uh, my uh, eight year old daughter, who was the, uh, the the intern for the podcast on this trip, um, was having a little trouble keeping still next to me and was bumping the table quite regularly. So uh, I you know I do have to take full responsibility for for Annabelle's. Uh, uh, bumping there but it did it, sort of audible um, and unfortunately Lisa was battling a pretty nasty cold at the time so there's a lot of coughs all the way through I've done my best to sort of fix it up um, and remove as much as possible but it was just kind of impossible to to remove everything so I do hope people enjoy the the discussion which as I said I do think is really valuable uh, and I think was um, you know something we certainly enjoyed having and hopefully you can get past the audio but as long as you know that going in um, you know hopefully that'll, that'll improve your, uh, your your listening experience. A couple of other things just before we uh, we get on with that episode. I like with these episodes, um, just to occasionally just give you a bit of an idea of some of the other things that are happening in the podcast and with the team. Um, I want to remind everyone that we will be doing another live show uh, really soon on Saturday, the 7th of September. We'll be at the IEU, the Independent Education Union Conference. We're really excited to be invited uh to to this event um that'll be in sydney uh we'll be speaking for an hour and we'll have a live show um uh with the topic teaching in capitalist times we're really looking forward to this one we've got a lot of ideas and a lot of um uh, a lot of things we want to be discussing and it's going to be great to be in front of you know some activated and enthusiastic uh, activists and teachers so we're really looking forward to that so if you're there um as usual, you know, come up and say hi. We'll be around for a little bit of the day. Um, if you haven't, if you're in Sydney um, and you're a member of the IEU, um, you know, uh, make sure you booked in to attend the conference itself. Looks fantastic. So we'll have a link to that event uh, in the show notes. Um, but if you, you know, Google IEU Early Childhood Conference, you'll track that down as well. Just a reminder that we have um, you can support the show on Patreon. It's really, really uh, appreciated and 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 valuable for us. It means we can continue doing the podcast, we can continue um, getting equipment and and paying web hosting and all the things that sort of sit behind a podcast. Um, uh, but most particularly, you'll get a bonus extra series exploring the NQS, uh, which I started uh, November last year. And we're now finished with Quality Area 5. So the last element of Quality Area 5 is up now. Next week will be the overview episode of Quality Area 5. I really enjoyed doing this little bonus series and talking about one of my favorite topics of all time, the National Quality Standard. So uh, great reason to support the show and get a little thank you from us, which is this little extra uh, show, which is 15 minutes a week. Um, so, you know, get to patreon.com. Uh, forward slash early edu show, um, or go to our website earlyeducationshow.com and there's a little support the show link. So that's uh, really appreciated. Thank you for everyone who does that. Um, I wanted to highlight Lisa uh, has a recently published article on early childhood Australia is the spoke blog, um, which I uh, love Lisa's writing as everyone you listen to the show will know is fantastic. She has a wonderful way with words, but this article I really enjoyed, um, talking about, uh, the, the concept of love in early education and care and should educators be talking about loving, uh, children, uh, and, and whether love sort of has a place in this professional setting. Um, I'm probably showing my hand here, but I'm, I'm very much of Lisa's view that we really need to separate those things. Um, but would be really interested in obviously hearing your feedback, but, um, uh, really fantastic that Lisa's been able to uh, get that piece. Um, I'll be fascinated to hear what the feedback is. But um, Lisa's, uh, you know, continues to be such a strong advocate for the professionalism of the sector, and she makes some wonderful points in there about how difficult it is to advocate for professional wages and professional recognition if we're talking about love, because. Uh, in the past, the history of the early education sector is that people have justified not paying educators a lot because they should be doing it for the love of it. So we need to be really careful about terminology and language. Um, So well done to Lisa and we'll have a link to that article in the show notes. All right, I think that's enough ado from me. We'll head over to the recording of the live episode. Um, Just another reminder, apologies for the sound quality. Hope you still enjoyed the discussion and uh, yeah, enjoy the show. All right, we're just going to use our big voices. Is that that's the plan? I think. Can everyone hear us, all right at the back? Yeah. All right. Well, yes, we are the Early Education Show. Can we? We'd like to do just a bit at the start. Can we get a sense that maybe there's a few people who've heard us before, or maybe a few people who haven't. If you've heard the show before, do you want to give a quick a quick round? This is an audio podcast. <laughs> if you have no idea what is happening to you right now in this room, please feel free to. <laughs> there's a few. All right. So, yes, we are the Early Education Show. Um, I'm Leamy e. Nicholas. I'm a teacher and currently work for a not for profit uh, early education organisation based in the ACT.
1: I'm Lisa. I write and consult in the early education sector, but I'm not a teacher and I'm not an educator.
2: Oh, and I'm, I'm Leanne and I, I do stuff like research and um, talking and
1: stuff. <laughs> <laughs> She's getting a PhD, so she's the smart one of the three of us. No, I don't, I'm not getting it. I just have to... I wish someone would give it to me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. Isn't how it works? <laughs> no, apparently not. That's what I
0: thought too. So uh, since 2016, we got a bit sick of waiting for a, for a podcast on early education. We kind of waited and waited, assumed someone would eventually do it. Someone would probably be paid to do it eventually. They'd have fancy branding and, and you know, people who knew what they were talking about. But that never happened. So unfortunately, it's been us since 2016. We're now into about 105 episodes they're all entirely free if you go to every time we do these live shows i'm very yeah, bad class. at promoting so i'm going to get that bit out of the way we're going start so if you go to earlyeducationshow.com you can find out about all we do speak we've got a bit of a listening microphone. guide to
1: speak into the microphone Bam.
0: <laughs> Tell me how to do audio. <laughs> Earlyeducationshow.com, You can find us all about it. But if you have, you know, a fancy device, you can just go Google the Early Education Show and you'll track us down. We're always in the mood for new listeners. It's entirely free. We've recently gone fortnightly because we were just our heads are about to explode. We were going weekly for about three and a half years, which cool. I still do not know how we did that. <laughs> but um, this is our second time at the Social Justice and Early Childhood. We're really, really honoured and thrilled to be invited back. Mm. Um, and uh, particularly given the conversations that have been had today. About advocacy and political engagement—that's um, right in our wheelhouse. Anyone who listens to us knows we could probably talk about those for three hours, let alone thirty minutes. But um, what we wanted to, I guess, talk about today—and I'm going to be flinging a couple of questions to my colleagues, Leanne and Lisa—we we really wanted to um, get back to the core mission of the podcast that aligns incredibly well with the social justice in you know, early childhood ethos, which is that you can't separate out the politics from the work we do here. That social justice is enmeshed in politics, and vice versa, and uh, that's why I think that one of the missions of the podcast has really been trying to spread the word about, you know, what political engagement means, what the incredibly confusing state of politics uh, for early education in Australia can be broken down into. So when we're talking about social justice, you know, that to me, that, that to us, I think, means, you know, who, who is missing out, who is, who is disadvantaged by, by what's happening in Australia at the moment. So we wanted to um, have a think about what policies or practices infringe on the capacity of all Australian children to access early education and care. So, thanks, Senator. <laughs> get taxed. I get told you off. Know, fantastic <laughs> outcomes for children are... Uh, uh, not happening if children can't even access the, the, the system in Australia. We know there are huge issues with that in Australia. So I am going to go first to Lisa to say, you know, what, what what does she think is, I guess, the biggest issue that's stopping children attending. And we should say here with one big caveat, we're not going to talk about the childcare subsidy. Because anyone who's listened to the podcast will know that is something we have talked about endlessly over and over. We would all think I think it is the single biggest thing that is locking children out of Australia's early education system right now. So we're kind of taking that as red. This is a very rare opportunity for the podcast and we're not going to talk about the child care subsidy or the child care package. So we're, going to, we're taking that one as red. So, Lisa, you know, what else for you is is stopping children getting in through the door in early education?
1: So I'm presuming that this is a trick question because the answer has got to be the Conservative government that we've got in power in Australia at the moment. Yes?
0: Well, that definitely. <laughs> <be>. <laughs> um,
1: look, to me, there's two important things and it... It's actually what the NQF embodies. So I don't know. You're all kind of looking as if you might have been around in 2009, which was only 10 years ago, but that was when the NQF first became a glimmer in the eyes of government. And the aim of the NQF, just in case you've forgotten, was to improve the quality of early education and care by improving the ratios of um, educators to children and by improving the qualifications of educators. So I'd say that the biggest thing that is going to stop children from getting access to a high-quality education and care is the fact that governments have forgotten that that's what track we are on. Um, So if we look at qualifications, first of all, um, can I just ask how many people here are from a, a state other than New South Wales? Okay, a handful of you are. For those that... I'm directing this more towards New South Wales people because I'm not sure how many people actually know this. New South Wales has the best requirements for qualifications in, a, in of, you know, the whole country. In other states, it's possible to be a child at an early education and care service. And if you're in a very small service you may only have access to a teacher 20% of the time via Skype, (laughs) right? If you're in a service that's a little bit bigger, up to 60 children, you may have access to uh, an early childhood teacher for six hours a day. If you're 60 to 80 um, children, you get one for six hours and another one for three hours. And if you're a big service, 80 children or, or, or over you get access to two early childhood teachers, again, just for six hours a day. So, in other words, for most children in Australia, their early education is happening without a teacher, right? (coughs) And yet we've got a review of the NQF this year. Nothing is being done about that. We've got a review of the NQF this year. Nothing is being said about the fact that only 13% of our workforce has degrees, and yet, and 48 percent, almost half of our workforce, has or is working towards a cert three. Now, I'm sure there's people with a cert three in the audience, and I'm not saying that that's a bad qualification. But we know research tells us the more highly qualified our our um, workforce is, the better quality early education. What we also know is that 37% of all staff working in a long day care service have been working in the sector for under three years. And working in their own, for 64% have been working in their own service for under three years. So, in other words, this profession that's supposed to be about relationships, no one's around long enough to create a relationship with the children that are there. You know, at Northern Nursery, where the staff have been there for an incredibly long time of a piece of time is the exception. It's not the rule. And yet, for the first time ever, we have a federal government that is not funding professional development. And professional de- development was taken out of our sector in two thousand and sixteen without anyone talking about it. Well, okay, apart from us. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but it didn't, you know, it wasn't um, a lot. So our last National Workforce Strategy finished in 2016 at the same time as the funded professional development did. Megan um, O'Connell published some really important research last week where she estimated that there'll be a shortfall of almost 18,000 early childhood teachers by 2023, um, uh, 10%, I think. No, I can't find that figure quickly, so I'll ignore it. So what, our workforce isn't being improved. Who also remembers in 2009 a very key part of the National Partnership Agreement said we will review the end national quality agreement in 2014 and again in 2019 and we will look at further improvements to the standards including the staff to child ratio for children in the birth to 24 months age range. Who here has been to one of the sessions about the national quality review? Yeah? Did you hear anything about the ratio for babies going to 1 to 3? No so that's in my mind they're the two big things
0: yeah a couple of uh, pretty important things there so the the, the workforce one is uh, fascinating i'm going to touch on that a bit i think in in my point um getting onto that but yeah and we particularly when we think about the, the people we've heard speak today and that how so many of them are teaching directly in centers that australia <laughs> almost sort of <laughs> tries to make things as difficult as possible for educators teachers mm-hmm. to just get in there and do their work with children, um, and I want to highlight particularly the the presentation from Northern Rivers was was incredible. What, an, what a what a what an amazing experience to go through as a team. But this. I feel a lot of sympathy for you because in the lead up to the most recent election, I think probably all three of us in in various ways and forms talked a lot about engaging in politics as educators. And um, I actually ran a conference in Canberra where the feedback we got was pretty good, except for, you know, roughly 10% that said, why do you keep talking about politics? Why did you invite politicians? Why did you invite stuff? The idea that you can separate out um, politics from the work of early education. So for for those, you know, I want to, I just want to talk to those families who wrote those emails. I know probably everyone felt it, felt the same way, but you want to tell them, you you know, politics as it has has decided who could and couldn't attend this service politics has decided how much they were paying mm-hmm. and the idea that for that vote in particular the, a vote that was literally going to legally define what a family could or could not be in australia mm. uh, that is offensive that that a preschool would be the first place that should be getting involved in those kind of things and, and just huge congratulations to that team mm. um might rant over sorry I'm, I'm, I, had to, <laughs> I, had to, I had to get that in but um Leanne, so we've we sort of covered workforce we've covered ratios they're the only two big issues, aren't they? <laughs> We've kind of solved everything else. Well, or is there well, something I'm else on the agenda? About,
2: I'm going to talk about children.
0: Oh.
2: <laughs> there we have go. they got children
1: do go
2: um, Yeah, I want to say thank you too for that presentation because one of the things that I loved about it was that there was obviously healthy debate within even the three of you. Um, and that would and that's hard. That's really hard stuff. And I think um, and we try and have a healthy debate as well between the three of us, and I think it's always it is always um, the outcome is always better as a result of that debate. So that's so congratulations. But I guess I want to talk about something that actually relates to that particular um, situation situation that you were in is that the reason why we did have to have a plebiscite is because it's in law, right? It's, in, it's actually in the constitution um, that the federal government has a say over marriage. Um, and so it sits in there. And that's the point that I wanna to make today about law. I think what's preventing um, children from accessing high quality early childhood education and care is that it just isn't in law. It's in policy, right? We do have um, the National Quality Framework embedded in law, which is fantastic. And that was one of the reasons why Scott Morrison, um, when he said, we'll probably wind back the NQF and maybe we'll chuck a few things out, and then he suddenly realised that it was actually embedded in law and not in the Word of God, (laughs) <laughs> Although if it had have been, we may have had more fortune. <laughs> um, it, because it was embedded in law, he went, "Oh my God, I cannot literally, um, you know, wind that back." So that's a great success for advocates, is that it was embedded in law, and I think we need to have children embedded in law, embedded, so so to speak, in law, um, to a much greater extent, and in law early childhood education for children as a right. Now, when I started to think about this, I went down a bit of a rabbit hole and uh, by the time I came back out two hours later, I realised I had nothing to say today, <laughs> So, um, which was a little bit confronting because my theory was that we needed to actually take the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child and embed that in law. But you know what? It is kind of already there because it is about workforce and it is about... Um, it is about play. So those things are. So I, after two hours of useless research at that point, um, I just sort of pulled it back and thought about the Constitution and spent a bit of time reading the Constitution, which, by the way, <laughs> is fascinating. <laughs> and I urge you to read it um, and to think about how that's what we need to do. And then an article came up in my uh, feed from the conversation, and everybody who's anybody loves the conversation. I'm sure you're all Especially Leanne, especially me. <laughs> One day I'm going to be published in the conversation, <laughs> and it will be a great day. Um, so I read an article this morning about a woman called Floss Greg. Did anybody mm. read that this morning? Oh, well, look it up, it's fantastic. She was the first woman in Australia to um, get a law degree in 1897. <laughs> and uh, what an amazing person she was. She was from a family where uh, their the parents, there were four girls and three boys and they thought that everybody should have a university education. Didn't matter what, they, what gender they were, which was really against the, that of the times. right? So she went through and did that and never really allowed too much to stand in her way. When she realized that she couldn't practice law, she worked with one of her lecturers, who was also a member of Victorian Parliament, to um, have uh, women be able to practice law and to have that <coughs> in bed in law as well. And then she went on to do a lot of work for children and, and families and women particularly. The way she did that was by saying that women couldn't really have representation um, because th- there were only men to represent uh, women. So I think that you know that really smart thinking around how could she do this and finding those ways. But my point is, it was embedded in law, and that's what we need to be thinking about in terms of um, early childhood education and in terms of children, because we do in this country have quite a low opinion of children, unfortunately, um, and that's why we're just not making this kind of headway that we need to make. Okay. yeah.
0: Well, <laughs> Um, I look. I totally agree. I remember in one of the earliest episodes of the podcast, we, we we thought about what laws we would change, and that idea of access to early education. I think one of the the complicated <coughs> things about, particularly at community level, so people outside this room, is people probably assume there is like a legal right to early education. They probably think things like access to preschool is embedded in law. It's actually not. It's a national partnership agreement, which. Um, has been in trouble every single year since the Conservative government came in in 2013. It gets, they they threatened to defund it, they threatened to go back to the state. As it as stands, we only have uh, certainty on that funding until next year, which mm. is a pretty sad state of affairs for a country like Australia. And, and
2: policy just isn't, policy just doesn't work because it allows governments to flip flop on whatever they want. They can write new policies. <coughs> policy used to mean something, but it doesn't really mean anything now. It really is just kind of like the sentiment of, of what the government feels today. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Well, I'll I'll do mine pretty quickly, because I think we want to get on to some some practical suggestions as well for tackling advocacy. But we've kind of talked about with Lisa, the the NQF and that sort of policy setting. Leanne's talked a bit about um, children. So I wanted to talk a bit about um, educators. And I know this of crosses over into what Lisa's been talking about as well. But One of the things I've been thinking about a lot in the last few years as I don't teach directly with children anymore, but I have a nice comfy office where I get to wander off and have a coffee whenever I feel like it. And, you know, that work is supported by the work that's actually happening with with educators and teachers in the centres I work with um, is we we have really got things fundamentally wrong for educators and, and teachers in this country, educators. Uh, there are the obvious things, that they are paid abysmal wages for the work they do, including early childhood teachers. We have Fair Work cases, uh, you know, before Fair Work Australia right now that are being actively opposed by some of the largest early education organisations in Australia. That those organisations are allowed to sit on seats of bodies is a disgrace and should be immediately stopped. It should be a, a, a caveat for signing up for, for, for those industry bodies um, is that you support wage cases for, for educators at a fundamental level. But even beyond that uh, is things like you know the, the amount of time educators get we were having a discussion about documentation last week and Leanne made a, a fantastic point which is you know we can have all the arguments we want about documentation, how much people should do, what platforms people should use and they're all well and good. But when people are only getting if they're lucky two hours a week to do critical thinking about children's learning, then those arguments are all largely beside the point. What we expect of educators is just fundamentally um, wrong. And and I'm of the view that with one of the challenges we have in the sector is we're so child-centered we put ourselves last, and we put educators—you know—put you know—taking our, our, you know, are, are themselves, you know, <coughs> to the brink of mental, physical, emotional exhaustion to do this incredibly important work in our community. Um, and I really wish we could get ourselves organised and everyone joining United Voice and, and beginning those strike actions because I think I'd be in tears the day that that happens. That would be amazing. <laughs> um, from a policy perspective, this is tricky because there's no one policy that does that. There, is, you know, there isn't a policy or, or, a, or a law that exists that says keep educators in their place. But that's absolutely the approach that that, that that happens in Australia where we don't want educators getting to uh, pay too highly because obviously that'll affect fees for for, ch- for children and families. That's a policy setting. That, that can be fixed. We could directly fund early education in this country exactly the same way as primary and secondary schools. That would solve the wages problem for educators. We could dramatically increase not only ratios for children but also non-teaching time for all educators to, to think critically about the work they do. Direct working with children is the core of the work we do, but it's also demanding, it's draining, it's physically and emotionally demanding. And it has to be pointed out that the people we are expecting to do this are predominantly women and they're predominantly young women, who we know from every bit of research under the sun are also probably at home responsible for far more on the domestic front than they are... Um, than their partners may be. Mm-hmm. So we, this, this is an issue we have to solve. And it, and it does directly affect children because we know from all the stats that Lisa's um, said there, the recruitment, the retention, but just also the experiences of these people who are doing this work, that the experiences of children can only be as good as the experience of the adults who are, who are teaching them and educating them. So this is, and, and I've tried to spend the last sort of six to 12 months to really go, you know, we always need to pull back from the child-centred approach for a little while. We need to give ourselves permission to do that. And we actually need to be educator-centred for a while. There's no... That if educators are on the point of exhaustion and stress and recruitment attention, retention, the children aren't getting good outcomes. And I've cheated a bit because I don't have a policy that sits in this, but there is a whole range of the, the, the different parts of the framework are designed to really stop educators doing well in our sector. And until we fix that, we will continue to have these problems. We can solve every other problem under the sun, but if educators aren't being supported to do that incredibly important work, then, you know, there's not going to be fantastic outcomes for children. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So, we've kind so of they t-
1: should just make us the boss of the world and... Yeah, that would wonderful. We've, we've asked that several times,
0: Lisa, and it still hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll just keep asking. So, with with the time we've got left, I think we've identified a few problems, um, which we love to do on the podcast. That's one of our favourite things to do, is just complain about all the problems. We do try and spend a bit of time identifying some solutions as well, and these are tricky and complex problems that I don't think are, are uh, conducive to very simple solutions, but... Um, Yeah, Lisa, if I guess we've got a room of incredible... The fact you're here means you're incredible advocates for for children and for social justice. So with this group of lovely people, um, intelligent, beautiful people in front of us, what would you be suggesting they need to go and do to to either address these specific issues or just address the issues of social justice and advocacy for children?
1: I actually don't know, because I've sat at (laughs) conferences like this and made suggestions. I've written articles and made suggestions, and I'm kind of running to the point where it feels like there isn't enough people advocating in this space, you know? Um, And it feels like what advocacy is happening isn't good enough. So let me tell you one thing really clearly. One to four would not have happened in New South Wales or in the rest of Australia without this group, the group that you're part of now because you're in this room. These were the people that run, you know, that started the campaign to get the better ratio for babies. So maybe it's time that this group starts to do it for one to three year olds. As far as PD and a workforce plan, which I think are really, really necessary, I think it's a matter of talking to your organisations, getting your organisations to write to local members, getting them to write to ministers, etc. And, yeah, there's a lot of easy ways that we can suggest to do things. Like, we know the value of a handwritten letter over an email letter and a handwritten letter by an educator is a really powerful thing. So if everyone committed just to writing one handwritten letter to a member of parliament a week, we'd be a lot better off than we were before this conference. But maybe that is too hard for people. Maybe while we're expecting educators to be advocates at the same time as doing their job and and being underpaid for it, maybe that is too hard. Mm -hmm. So maybe the question is looking at who are the advocacy bodies in this sector and how can they be asked to do more? Are they doing enough? Mm -hmm. And who is it that's doing the advocacy? In the the lead-up to the federal election, the biggest advocacy voice was the voice of providers. Of, of early education, right? It was a, a body called a lacquer. Who Who's heard of a here? Okay, only a handful, right? It's it's a voice that's got Good Start, it's got G8, it's got Affinity, all of those sorts of providers. And they somehow became the biggest advocacy voice around early education and care. Now, I, you know... Um, as a political stance, have a problem with that. I think that the biggest voice around early education care should be an organisation that's advocating for children, not for for that for that. So I'd say I'd be talking to your you know the bodies that run your services and saying, how can we get children's voices heard?
2: Well, I can be short because he <coughs> sorry, all of no, no,
1: no, absolutely.
2: Like I, I just think everything that leads has said there is 100% what I would say. We're totally aligned. Just funny. (laughs) Amazing, really. Um, The the thing that I would say in brief is uh, to get interested in in law and how legislation is made. And there's actually a lot of things, um, the Australian Parliamentary website... It's fantastic. It's got so much information. Don't worry about going to the adult site. Go to the school kids site. <laughs> because, <laughs> it because it's explained really, really well and very, you know, in brief. And start to understand how legislation is made if you don't already know, and I'm assuming that, that many of you do. But the other thing I think is about um, talking with children about laws and um, doing that kind of civic, you know, the, the civics education, which we don't seem to want to do in Australia, it's done in other parts of the world because it's a child's right to understand how the world works it should should understand, every child should understand how the world works and how they can make change in the world so you know if we're kind of beyond it as adults let's try and, and do that with children, not just about the um, superficial um, you know ch- children, talking about children's voices really engaging children in those conversations and discussions because um, I've seen some amazing work that has come out of early childhood services, that um, that is really, you know, driving uh, change. And despite the fact that some people believe children can't say those things, mm. we know that they can and more of those will prove, prove that it does.
0: Wonderful. And I can be even shorter because I agree with all of those two <laughs> points as well. Um, my only other thing <coughs> would be, you know, for, for educators and teachers uh, to go back um, and... Not just accept the situation we're in. And one of the things I've noticed recently, which is a whole other episode of the podcast, which I'd love to do one day, is we spend a lot of time talking about educator wellbeing at the moment, but we spend a lot of time talking about some very quick, simple fixes to fix that for people. So a bit of mindfulness or a bit of yoga. Once a week, or a breath mint—I don't know—every two second weeks, like <laughs> that stuff infuriates me. The, the the issues that are affecting educators are complex; they are embedded, and they are not going to be solved by giving someone some lecture about mindfulness and telling them they need to cope I better. I but this.
1: some of the employers are offering <gasps> massages for early childhood educator <laughs> day or <on> makeup. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Oh, no. okay. It's an
0: audible groan. I'm I glad see. we captured yeah. that from the audience. I'm glad we captured that. Oh. And we're on the way of wavelength. Can it, is it okay to? To not accept your situation. Just to be really clear, the situation is intolerable <laughs> and not okay, and that's kind of the first step. I think we can't be. Because- and the
1: first way to not accept your situation is to join a union.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> <good> <laughs> there's a segue to the next panel. Um, <laughs> but I will say that, you know, that, it, that the, the experience of educators is directly related to the experience of children. And it is the classic cliche about, you know, the flight down, you fix your, you know, your own air mask first before you support children. We need to spend some time thinking about educators and that the, what we're asking of educators is, is not okay. And that, you know, a quick wellbeing fix you know, delivered by people who are making quite a lot of profit off your work um, should not be acceptable and should be not okay. So educators, spend some time on yourselves, get engaged, get interested, come to fantastic events like these, join Social Justice in Early Childhood, join your union. Listen um, to our podcast. Join. Oh, I was about to segue to that, Lisa. Oh, join sorry. us on the Early Education <laughs> Show every fortnight we do an episode. But... Um, we really appreciate your time. I want to do a special thanks to Annabelle here, who's come along as the intern taking photos, but she also did the beautiful drawings that have been on every episode. So, uh, thank you, Annabelle. <laughs> um, but we really appreciate everyone listening to us. Like we said, we, we're always happy for more listeners. We're hanging around for a little while if you want to chat about how crazy we are, but we hope you enjoy the rest of the day. Thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to The Early Education Show, recorded at the 2019 Social Justice in Early Childhood Conference. You can find show notes and links for this episode and all our other episodes at earlyeducationshow.com. The show is hosted by Lisa Bryant, Leanne Gibbs and Liam McNicholas and produced by Liam McNicholas. The music is by Jarzar at betterwithmusic.com. Please subscribe, rate and review the show in the Apple Podcast Store. It really helps others find the show. Get in touch with us at Early Edu Show on Facebook and Twitter or send us an email at earlyedushow at gmail.com. See you next time.